From the Shumway Theater in downtown Rockford, this is the Guilty Pleasures Podcast, presented by Rockford Writers Guild. Here's your host, Connie Coots. Thank you, Jesse. Hello, everyone. It's Connie Kuntz, and you are listening to the Guilty Pleasures Podcast. Molly McNett is back, and she's going to share a short story with us. But not only is she back, her 16-year-old daughter, Madeline Libman, is also back. Hello, Madeline. Hi, Connie. And hello, Molly. Hi. How are you, Molly? Good. Good. And how are you, Madeline? Oh, I'm just great. You know what? I can tell you're great. How about you introduce (laughs) this episode? Okay, I will. Today... We are going to hear the story Mama by Molly McNett. She's my mother, and it's going to be good. Before we begin, Mom, is there anything you want to warn our listeners about? Yes. There is some offensive language in this story. And so um, I promise that I put it in for a purpose, but the readers should be forewarned. (laughs) Okay. Let's get started. Farewell, mother. I must leave you. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, watch and pray. Mother, don't grieve after me. No, no, no. Oh, watch and pray. Mother, I'll meet you in heaven. Yes, my child. Oh, watch and pray. Mama. Sister Martha and I were 18 and 19, as I recall. Neither one of us yet married, though we would be within a year from that day. It was a hot day, and we sat inside the house spinning flax when Father came back riding midnight. His three charges sat on the bay, two niggers, grown girls about the same age as Martha and I, and between them, a little black boy, maybe eight years old. This little one was crying. Father left the nigger girls on the porch, but the little one he brought inside. Keep an eye on him, said Father. I'll be out to the shed and saddle up Angel and bring the carriage round. It wasn't new for Martha and me to see strange niggers on the porch. We didn't keep any ourselves because Father said the whole trade was a bad business, and if he didn't make his living that way, he'd surely want it outlawed. Yet someone was going to speculate if he didn't. The niggers he was selling for others, the ones that passed through our place, never made noise or trouble. They were none too happy, usually, but before this particular day, we never did have an out-and-out crying one like that, especially not in the house. Father had gone east to Chesterton's for these. He'd just stopped home to trade out Midnight and the Bay so he didn't tire them. Now he was going on west to put the niggers on the block come evening. Sit down, boy, said Martha. She pointed to the bench in the far corner behind her loom. He did sit and kept sniffing and quietly crying. He was a clean nigger with a clean-cut head and a real button shirt and a square kerchief he blew his nose into real quiet, like a regular polite fellow. A few minutes went by and Martha and I kept at our spinning, but I could not keep my mind on it. Neither could Martha, I guess. You can let his sisters in, she told me. They can sit there beside him. I went out to the porch. 
When I opened that door, the girl niggers turned right around to me. They had been peeking in the window. Come in and comfort him, girls, I said kindly. He's crying something terrible. They looked at me as if they didn't speak English. Mrs., said one, we don't know him. That's all right, then, I said, not knowing what else to say, and went back inside and shut the door. Those ain't his sisters, I told Martha shortly. They're no comfort to him. I felt, insensibly, angry with her. Then Martha went over to the boy where he sat sniffing on that bench. Boy, said Martha, are you hungry? I never knew a nigger to refuse food. But he ignored her question. Missus, he said, between his little gasps for air, when can I see my mama? Martha didn't answer him. She went back to her flax, so I did the same. Then over the sound of our spinning and the boy still crying away, Martha said to me, What a terrible thing this is, Mary. You know that boy will likely never see his mother again. At this, the boy put his head in his hands again and just wailed as if his heart would break. Hush, I said to Martha, but of course, that was too late. What could we do? We looked at each other. Yes, it is terrible, sister, I said. Outside the window, the nigger girls peeked in again, probably to see if their brother was being flogged. Though, of course, he was not really their brother. I shrugged at them. By which gesture I meant, we're all in this hateful predicament. And what can we do? Well, father came back with Angel pulling the carriage. She was a beautiful, flea-bitten, gray-and-white beauty with one blue eye and one brown one. Now, I said to the boy as father came through the door, won't you just be riding in a regular carriage like a fine little prince? The boy grabbed father by the leg. Please, he cried. My mama ain't even said goodbye to me. She don't even know I got took. At least, that's approximately what he said, but he was sobbing so hard, we could not tell exactly. Martha had gotten some hardtack from the pantry and pressed it in his hand, and her eyes filled with tears. From the window, we stood and watched Father take the three away. The boy's nigger sisters stood one at each elbow, steadying him, because his knees buckled and he could barely stand upright from sorrow. Martha just shook her head. It surely ain't Christian, she said in a hush. I suddenly wanted to run after that boy and tell him that Martha and I had lost our mother just two years prior, but something stopped me. It was beyond my power to speak my heart to him, and probably beyond his power to hear me. I felt the pain of that. The Lord made the colored as he made the white, yet the two are like one garment forever rent. Still, we must not forget 
that the Lord made it so, as he confused our tongues at Babel, so there is righteousness in it, though at times we cannot see it clearly. Yea, the Lord's thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are his ways my ways. Martha and I went back to our flax, but we weren't much good for working the rest of that day. Molly, that was another beautiful story. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. And I'm going to do things a little bit differently this time because this is your sixth podcast with us. Everybody else has only gotten five. But you are special, and you brought your special 16-year-old actor-singer daughter, and she's going to participate in this interview, not just as someone who answers questions, but also as someone who asks questions. So, Madeline, having listened to this for the first time, what is the first question you have for your mother about mama? Um, I'd kind of like to know the process that took you to have the inspiration to write this. So was there something you read or something you researched? Yes. Um, there were several pieces, um, real narratives that talked about the separation of children you know, from their parents. Um, it's just the most, it's not the most horrible thing. There are so many horrible things, but that that sort of uh, tearing apart. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, it'd be right on the auction block. They'd be auctioning them off. And, and um, you know, people would buy only the slave and not the children. And at that moment, um, People would describe it. I did read a description, and it was a white person describing this sort of separation and wrenching. And, um, you know, um, I think a lot of people, even people who owned slaves, saw it with some sort of empathy or would speak about it with some sort of empathy, especially the Quakers, you know, originally. So the Quakers took a while to come around to their position that we always think of them as these early abolitionists, but they um, didn't solidify that until well into the um, 19th century, I believe it was. And so, um, you know, in the early days, they, they would... Um, have meetings and there would be people giving reports um, on the the institution. And um, this was one of the things that they objected to terribly. And yet some of them owned slaves. And so um, I guess I just sort of thought about that um, inconsistency. Mm -hmm. And um, that's where that started. So was the father in this story a slave owner himself? He was what's called a speculator, so that's why he it says, you know, the daughters say, um, if he didn't do it, someone would. So he talked about it also um, as an evil, but as we know, and it's a kind of um, a stock excuse, if I didn't do it, somebody else would, you know. Um, I Maybe every one of us has used that excuse about something in our lives at some point that we didn't feel good about morally. So, um, yeah, that's his, that was his job. Can you think of a time when you felt a separation from your family that was just that feeling I get when I read the story, when I listen to the story, I just feel such sadness, such loss, such 
anger. Have you been separated from a family member at any point in your life where it just felt almost desperate? Well, certainly nothing like this because this is a this is like um, this is permanent and it's uh, unexpected. And then also that there there were not even they were not even allowed to exchange words, you know. So I'd have to answer no. I haven't experienced anything like this, you know, anything that's this um, grave. How about you, Madeline? Have you ever experienced a loss where you didn't get a chance to say goodbye, where you've been separated from somebody or something that you love? Have you- no, I can't say that I have. I think this is a almost unique experience that, I mean, it's it's very fortunate that none of us have really had to go through something this severe. Mm-hmm. Molly, last week you mentioned that you write when something's bothering you inside. I was wondering if you could speak to what was bothering you when you wrote this. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, I think we're touching on it, actually. It's this idea that, um, well, this idea that the um that black people and white people have these vastly different histories and there's this divide there and i think it it you know i'm just could only speak for myself but it's painful you know it's painful to think about it and um but at the same time you know i'm also guilty you know like i'm also um guilty of not being aware, guilty of not doing what I can, not being as awake about it as I can, not knowing as much as I can, not um, sort of realizing the current injustices, you know, and speaking out against them. All of these things, you know, like I'm guilty of all these things. And um, I I see that when I read these things and I also think, well, sometimes we console ourselves with our empathy, you know, oh, but I feel something. I think in this story, the woman feels something, but she does feel something. She knows it's wrong. They both know, both sisters, they know, but they're entrenched in the system. So how how many things do we sort of say, well, but, you know, it's just a shame, but it would be too difficult to fix because of, um, you know, the economy, for example, which is what the Quakers uh, said in the beginning, what a shame, how terrible, surely it's not God's will, but um, how would our economy survive, mm-hmm. you know? Especially, even William Penn, you know, um, said that. So um, it's, these excuses, they're really, really evil, you know, <laughs> the ones that we give ourselves, and I'm guilty of it too. So I, that's what bothers me, and I don't have an answer for it, but I think, you know, like when I write, I try to think of that little nettle and try to grasp it. Mm-hmm. I, we talked last week about being a white woman writing outside your race, yeah. and I'm wondering how it is to be a young woman, 16, and hear this story about the black perspective from the white perspective written from a white person. Does it make you cringe? Does it seem unfair? Do you think this is important? Does it start the dialogue you want things, you know, that you want started? Yeah, I think it's it's almost hard to listen to in a way um, just to hear what people thought was acceptable 
beliefs and behaviors back then. And it, I mean, it almost makes me feel sort of a sense of shame, which I think is appropriate, um, especially with a story like this one. I'm going to ask a question then. 18 and 19 years old, these two sisters. Mm. What do you see yourself doing at ages 18 and 19, Madeline? Well, certainly not anything like what they were doing. Yeah. Um, I'm not really quite sure yet. Probably going to college if all goes as planned. But yeah, definitely very far separated from what's happening in this story. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's very different. Molly, what do you like about this story? What is it that you're saying in this story that you are super proud of? Well, I actually asked my sister, Katie, for help with this story because my sister knows the Bible pretty well. And I, I asked her um, if she would give me a verse that might be used as a sort of a rationalization for the behavior of the woman in this story, or the lack of behavior, the lack of protest or the, you know, sort of passivity. And so um, that's what I actually like about this story is the verse that my sister gave me. Yea, the Lord's thoughts are not my thoughts. I think it's from Isaiah. Yea, the Lord's thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are his ways my ways. So, I mean, it's meant to, I think, make you um, sort of give over your control to, to, to God and to, to admit that you don't understand the larger plan, right? Mm-hmm. But, of course, <laughs> you're still accountable for behaving in a moral fashion. So, you know, my sister thought this verse would be the, the, a good sort of rationalizing verse for this. And so I, have um, to I think it works well. <laughs> I know that you're not afraid of your research and that you're a reader as much as you are a writer. This is the first time I'm learning that you're reaching out to another person for some inspiration for your writing. Is that something you do quite a bit, or is this special to this story? I do it all the time with the Bible. In fact, my, my sister um, is my go-to person for the Bible. So it's Katie and Mike Shea, my sister and my brother-in-law, who is a um, former pastor. And so they they really have helped me in, in previous stories I've read here, too, when I've used uh, referred to the, the Bible. Um, usually I've run it by those two, and they can pick out the <laughs> appropriate verse. So I'm sort of faking it, you know. It might seem like I would know my Bible very well, but usually they, they can help me and find the, the right um, verse to support what I'm doing. Way back when we had our first podcast, I asked you if you had a trajectory for your writing, and you said, no, I don't know what's going to happen next. I have a slow writing process. Mm -hmm. I like to research for months. Um, Do you see now, after we've been doing this for a few weeks, do you see the next step with these stories? Well, I'm not sure exactly. Um, I I know that so far I have maybe five or six really short pieces and um, a couple have been published in a group and eventually maybe they'll all make a little collection or a collection in part of a larger collection that would have other historical stories. I've even thought about doing other stories about other slaves um, to make the theme more universal. but I'm not sure. So I have to sort of finish a few more of these and see where they lead me. 
Okay, I understand. We're going to move away from story talk. We're going to go back to Madeline. And Madeline, do you have any quirky questions you'd like to ask your mother? Okay, this is going to sound very, uh, very strange. But before we started our podcast, I was told that I would be hearing the origin of my name. And I haven't heard it yet. So I like to hear that. That's right. It's going to sound really hoity-toity, <laughs> but it's it comes from Proust. So it is a cookie, right, Madeline, mm-hmm. the Madeline cookie. But um, when Proust reads the, eat, reads, eats the Madeline, which is, a, as you might know, it's a particular kind of French cookie with ridges in it. Yes, I And been, dips I it in tea. He, it brings him back to a, a moment in his childhood, an earlier, an early memory. So um, since we we're both reading that book and we like this part about the Madeline calling up a memory, and there's a larger, I think he goes on about how um, senses can immediately, the senses, something you smell or, or, or even see can bring you back to something you've um, thought about or heard or some kind of memory. Mm-hmm. So um, we just like that little image, and we thought that would be a good name for a little baby. And a lot of people had that idea, I guess, because there are maybe four or five Madelines in your grade. Right, <laughs> something yeah. like that. Yeah, yes. and even one who spells it the the, the way, way that we do, yeah. which is the M A D E L E I N E. Yeah. yeah. Um, on the name theme, I wanted to ask why you decided to choose. And this is going to sound like I'm so old fashioned. I'm not, and it certainly isn't a new concept. But I always like to hear why. Why did you keep your name Molly McNett, and Dan Libman keep his name Dan Libman? Because I just like Molly McNett. It's an alliteration. <laughs> I like. I always liked the name, you know. Um, so I, um, I didn't want to change my name, you know. I, and uh, I think that was okay with Dan. At least he told me it was. <laughs> and it caused a little confusion at school now and then, but um, it's common enough that it's not too much of a problem. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of Mrs. Libman when I would volunteer in their classrooms or whatever. It didn't yeah. bother me. It was okay. Mm-hmm. I knew who they were talking to. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I I don't remember if I said this. I said this off the, the podcast. But I was saying it's. I've always wondered what my life would be like if my name were Madeline McNett. Because that's another alliteration. It's kind of, you know, kind of folksy. Mm-hmm. It would probably... I mean, it just has. It has a different feeling to it. Like a different identity mm-hmm. i don't know perhaps if my name were madeline mcnett i'd be wanting to grow corn right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah um there's the question i ask every week and that is what would you oh, have i missed anything first did i miss anything that you because uh, anyone no i don't think so mm-hmm. i don't know I don't um, think so. I just want to give a shout out to my sister and my brother-in-law, which I already did. So, yeah. but hello, Katie and Mike. Say, oh, say their full names again. <laughs> Katie Shay, Mike Shay. Yeah. Hello, Katie Shay and Mike Shay. Yeah. Kathleen and Michael. That's yes. their full names. And also, my <laughs> sister. You know, in that story that I just read, the their sisters and uh, they call each other sister. At one point, she says, "Sister Shirley." It isn't whatever, and. Um, 
my sister and I used to do that as a joke because on the Waltons, if anybody is uh, <laughs> old enough to remember the Waltons, yes. there were these sp- spinster sisters, and they would say, sister, I don't know if it's going to rain tonight. Well, I think it is, sister, like that. And we would always uh, imitate them. <laughs> yes, so I thought of her when I put that in. I have to ask you, I know you have a brother, but yes. is there anybody in your life who's like a sister to you? Oh, I do. I I have friends who are like my sisters. You want to give a shout out to anyone? They know who they are. They know (laughs) who they are. I love it. Um, And then also, I want you to remind your listeners when The King and I is showing at... Go ahead. Oh, it's the last weekend of July in the first weekend of August. Where? Byron Civic Theater. Okay. Get your tickets now listeners all right so back to molly mcnett what would you like to tell your listeners this week oh i already did the tea and the coffee thing <laughs> so i didn't have another yes. i didn't have another one cooked up yoga is really good for you and you know standing on your head Please. <laughs> and standing on your shoulders can improve your circulation lower your blood pressure it's all very good for you. Are you going to plug you should your all be yoga standing on the right head, your head. I want to hear about pranayama. pranayama. Yoga, yoga studio. Pran- it's pranayama. <laughs> it's right by the Irish Rose there on East, on uh, State Street. And how can people take classes? You can drop in for a class to try it out, or you can sign up for a session. And the new session starts um, soon soon well i'm going to be taking a class at least so i hope listeners join me and take a class from the fabulous molly mcnett (laughs) now back to madeline i know i keep saying your age but it's remarkable she's 16 let's hear i can't believe i've been around that long (laughs) um (laughs) last week she bragged that she's only online for eight or nine hours so i want to see what she's got to nine oh eight to nine yes i don't exceed that nine hour limit Mm -hmm. um Oh, okay. I have to think about this. I just, I want to remind everybody who is a parent of a person my age that there have been studies done that um, schools should be started later because it's normal for teenagers to sleep later at night. And I really don't like being pestered about that. And I'm sure people my age don't like that. So I'm just keeping with the theme of last week. So if you have a child who's 16 and they like to sleep at a late hour, it's biological, and you can't mess with that. You just have to let them do what they what they wish. Also, oh don't tell them to practice their instrument. Okay. <laughs> What's That's... your instrument? What's your instrument? Well, I play the cello, and I also play the flute and the bass guitar. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> well, is there anything else you guys would like to say before we wrap this up? Mm-hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's my it's pleasure. It's been fun to have Madeline in here. Yeah. Well, it's been fun to be here. I feel like feel like a bit of an adult, really. <laughs> you have a maturity about yes. you. These um these microphones are they're just they're very uh I'm very tempted to like mess with the sound, but I know that that's very obnoxious, but it's just my tendency what does that mean mess with the sound <laughs> i don't know well okay when we do the shows we have these face mics yes and you know my i know everybody running the sound so i'll like tap my mic oh and no everybody oh. really mad and then they try and retaliate and like turn my mic on when i'm in the middle of a conversation so that everybody can hear what i'm saying 
Yes, that sort of thing. I understand. I'm very, I get very distracted by, you know, things by like fun. This. Yes. It's, yeah. <laughs> we're for that. Yeah. Well, thank you both. Uh, I'm not sure when, but can you come back and read some more of your writing? Oh, sure. Great. And can you write something and come back and share some young writing? Sure. Sometime. I can't book it now. I, I don't know homework? exactly. It's not oh, homework. It's summer, Connie. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You have to write something. Because oh. when you were 12, you were on Perspectives yeah. on WNIJ. Yeah, yeah don't and look it up. And but... you wrote about David Foster Wallace at age 12. So I know well, you've got some writing yes. chops. And I know your parents. Uh, well, yeah. Write something yeah. and then come back. Okay, I'll... I'll consider that. Okay, she'll consider it. <laughs> I like your answer. That's going to yeah. save you a lot of headaches as yeah. you get older. Well, that, that gives me a safety net if I don't do it. Yes, absolutely. All right, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thank Connie. you for having us. The short story, Mama, by Molly McNett, previously appeared in Isthmus. The Guilty Pleasures podcast is made possible by Rockford Writers Guild, Rockford Area Arts Council, The Shumway, and you, our listeners. Subscribe to Guilty Pleasures on iTunes or Google Play, or download podcasts from our website, rockfordwritersguild.org. Email feedback to editor at rockfordwritersguild.org. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at Rockford Writers Guild, and Instagram and Twitter at Guilty Pleasures. Thank you for listening. This is your producer, Jesse Kuntz. Now go write.